Amen. I'm going to let you go ahead and be seated. If you don't mind, go ahead and be turning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. I hope you've had a good day today and do hope you've been praying for the service tonight. Looking forward to that. I hope you pray for all of the services, not just for what you might need, but for we all need as a church body. We need to be uh, gathered together, not only in fellowship, but around God's word, feasting on what God has for us in these difficult days we're living in. And I do hope you'll be praying for the 11th. Uh, I told Brother AJ this afternoon, I says we're going to have a new hashtag, the 11th at 11. That's going to be our target that we're praying for over the next few weeks. The Lord allow us to be here on the 11th at 11 o'clock. And uh, Lord willing, we're going to have some special seating uh, for those that might be high risk for uh, the virus. And we're going to have some special requests that we ask of everyone to abide by, if possible, that we can all get in here. Uh, we're even going to have special exits that we enter and exit in uh, for folks to try to do the best that we can uh, to not only respect those who may be vulnerable to this, but also honor God in the process. And I believe we've got a good plan for it. We're looking forward to a very exciting day. I'm very excited about it. I'm, I'm very excited about hearing the choir sing again. Uh, it just stirs our heart how much the choir does a great job in that. And so be praying that everything will come together, but have peace right now. The Lord's going to allow us to do that. Hebrews chapter 11, if you would, look down to about verse number 23. Just remain seated tonight if you don't mind. We're going to continue our series on advancing in adversity. Advancing in adversity, I think it's something we all need right now to help us continue to move forward in the midst of the difficulty we're living in. Hebrews 11, verse number 23 tonight, we're going to look at the character of Moses and how God used Moses and helped Moses to continue to move forward in all the adversity he went through. The Bible says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Watch verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be back in your house tonight. Thank you for your people that are able to to come and those that are able to watch via live stream. I pray that you'd be with each and every one of us, Lord, as we continue to seek to do your will in the midst of this difficult time. I pray, Father, we would not grow complacent or cold. Lord, help us not be stagnant in our faith, but advance in the midst of this adversity. Help us learn from Moses tonight how we might do that a little bit better, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking this afternoon, I was going to say in the introduction of my message that I'm a fan of sports, uh, but I've just about come to the place where I can say that I once was a fan of sports, and I don't watch a whole lot of it anymore, to be honest with you. It's all become just about political. Uh, but when I did really keep up with a lot that was going on in athletics and sports, professional, college sports, uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed doing, even if it wasn't my team, is I enjoyed watching people that were good at what they do. Uh, my wife and I differ on this uh, point, but I can even appreciate uh, Coach Nick Saban for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, somebody that's good at what they do, I can even appreciate that. I'll probably have to go home and eat with some of you tonight uh, after making that statement or sleep on your couch or something. I have a good recliner in the office, so I may have to sleep on that. But I appreciate anybody who's good at what they do. And I love studying people that are good at what they do. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're just good at folding clothes. Uh, I like to figure out why you're good at folding clothes. And I like to learn 
learn everything I can from people that are good at what they do. And I like finding out what makes them tick. I like studying their routines, their habits, their disciplines. What is it that makes them good at the things that they do? And one of the things I love to find is that as you study these people, regardless of the field they're in, whether it's a medical field, whether it's in politics, whether it's in culinary things, you often find common denominators that bridge across all of the different fields that are there. There's really common character traits that tie people together that are successful in different things that they do. If you read behind John Maxwell a lot, John Maxwell has both studied and spoken extensively on the, uh, the common denominators behind people that are successful. He's written many articles on the habits of successful people. Now, I have to be honest with you, I was disappointed today as I read many of his articles at how many of those habits I do not have. I just figured eating fried foods was going to be in there somewhere, you know, sleeping till lunch was going to be in there, but no, no, I don't sleep till lunch, okay? You're like, I knew it. No, I promise you, I really don't. I don't have the time to sleep till lunch, but many of the habits that I have in my life are not necessarily the habits that a lot of successful people have, but it is interesting. When you study people that are really good at something, you will find that there are common character traits that bridge those fields that are there. And the same thing applies to our faith. As we read the Word of God, we find people that were good at what they did. We find people that uh, stood for the faith, and not only did they stand or take a stand for their faith, but they continued standing for your faith. You know, it's important to take a stand, and I hope all of us have taken stands for our faith, but it's important that you continue to stand for your faith. Uh, today I spoke with our young people in chapel service, and I told them how proud I was of them that they have had such a good spirit this year. Great spirit at our school, our young people. Uh, there's not a whole lot of yan yan, a whole lot of backbiting, you know, and gossip and stuff like that. As far as I know, uh, there isn't. It just seems like they're good kids. They might just be faking me out. But I told them, I said, hey, we've got off to a good start, but let's work to maintain that. And just because you take a stand doesn't mean you're going to stay standing. You've got to learn how to maintain that stand. And a lot of that goes back to your Christian character, all right? Your character is who you are. Uh, that was one thing my dad drilled into me as a young man, as a, as a boy and as a young man, was about character. And I'll never forget, dad always told us that character is who you are in the dark. Character is who you are when nobody's looking. That's who you really are. And can I tell you something? Uh, how you stand up in the midst of all of this adversity is going to be a testament of your character. Okay? It's not going to be a testament of who you think you are. It's not going to be a testament of who people think you are. Uh, this adversity is going to test who you really are. Because let me tell you something that I have learned. You will not bluff your way through adversity. You're not going to bluff your way through this. The only way you're going to get through this difficulty and this adversity is to be real and to, be, to have some spiritual continuity throughout your character. And tonight we're going to look at Moses. If there was anyone who went through a prolonged season of adversity, it was Moses. Think about it. Before he ever left Egypt, he was going through adversity. And then after they left Egypt, he not only had adversity from Pharaoh, he had adversity from the people that he was trying to lead to the promised land. And day after day and week after week, Moses went through adversity, and yet Moses continued on. Why? Because of his Christian character. And tonight, we're going to look at that subject under the heading of advancing in adversity. We're going to look at the character needed to continue. The character that is needed to continue. And I assure you this, listen, if your Christian character 
is not what it needs to be, it will be borne out in this adversity. This adversity is going to burn away all of the fluff and all of the facade, and what's going to be left is who we really are. And so as we look at this tonight, let's learn from Moses. God recorded this for us for a reason. God preserved the account and the character of Moses for us to learn from. And so let's do that tonight as we look at the character that we're going to need in order to continue. Now, verse 24 has really the first step. The Bible says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, we know the story. Moses grew up in the hierarchy there in Egypt. And when he had the opportunity, when he was come to years, to where Moses had the opportunity to decide for himself, when given the opportunity to accept what the world was offering to him, notice the word the Bible uses. The Bible says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, can I tell you, the first part of this character is very critical. If you're going to advance in the midst of adversity, the first thing you're going to need tonight is to have a readiness to refuse. A readiness to refuse. And you know, you say, what do you mean by that? Well, what helped Moses to advance forward, now listen closely, was because in verse 24, he had closed the door to going backwards, okay? Moses did not have a fallback. He had a clean breakup with the world and with Egypt, and the only way forward for Moses was forward. Now, can I tell you something tonight? Before Moses could say yes to God, he had to be willing to say no to the world. And the reason he was able to advance in the midst of adversity is he had already broken up with the world. There was nothing behind him to go back to. Now, let me tell you tonight, it's hard to advance when you're still holding on to something behind you, okay? If, you're, if you expect to advance in the midst of adversity and keep going in spite of difficulty that's coming our way, you have to have a place and a time where you have refused, you've said no to the world. But as long as you are holding on to Egypt, don't be surprised if you don't advance very far toward the promised land. I believe tonight this is the problem with the church. Do we desire to move forward? Absolutely. I can't think of any Christian tonight who doesn't desire to move forward in the will of God for your life. I believe that ought to be inside of you. But tonight our problem, the reason we have trouble advancing in adversity is we haven't let go of Egypt yet. We haven't come to the place where we have refused what the world still offers us. We're caught between two. We desire the promised land, but we're still considering the offer that Egypt is trying to make us. I want to tell you something tonight. You're not going to go very far forward if you don't make a clean break from Egypt. As long as there's a back door for you to go through. Let me tell you something. As long as there's something to fall back on, you're going to fall back on it. Moses made a clean break. The Bible says he refused the offer to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He said, I've got nothing to go back to. Now, folks, look I, look, I like to be amicable, and I like to be uh, helpful as much as I can. But look, there's no point in trying to live the Christian life and move forward as long as you're leaving your options open on what the world has to offer you. We're trying to move forward with what's behind us is still in mind. Give an example. Someone thought of this years ago, and uh, it's too good not to use. Uh, they did some studies. Some people have too much time on their hands, to be honest with you. That's why they do some of these studies. And they study that in your car, you look in your rearview mirror 5% of the time. 
Now, based the way some of you drive, I think you look at it more about 30 or 40, okay? I think you're looking back more than you're looking forward, but you look at it about 5% of the time, and you look at the rearview mirror, and it's so small in comparison to the windshield. Well, why is that? Well, it's important that you spend most of your time focusing looking forward and very little time looking backwards. And as long as Egypt is in our rearview mirror, I hate to tell you, you're not going to be focused on moving forward. I think the reason so many of us have trouble advancing in the will of God for our life is we've yet to refuse Egypt. And you've got to have a place in time in your life where you have broke up with the world. And a lot of us, to be honest with you, we're still courting them. Isn't that what, listen, isn't that what denied Lot's wife her advancement in the will of God? What was God's will for Lot's wife to get out of Sodom? God's will for Lot's wife was to keep moving and not to look back. But what does the Bible tell us? One of the shortest verses in all of Scripture, Luke 17, 32, the Bible says, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife was trying to advance, but she just couldn't get Sodom out of her mind. And what happened? She turned around and became that pillar of salt. And how often is that the way in our Christian lives? I believe all over this country tonight, we have churches full of pillars of salt. You know why? Because they couldn't quit Egypt. They couldn't get Sodom out of their mind. And I look, I understand this. The world makes us an offer, quote unquote, that's hard to refuse, don't they? They make it look very nice. But as long as we're considering what's behind us, don't be surprised if you're not pushed back by the adversity from moving forward. This is why Demas gave up on God. What did the Bible say about Demas? He hath forsaken me. He forsook what? He quit advancing. Why? The Bible says he hath loved this present world. You see, Demas had something to go back to. He did not break from the world. And I assure you, if you don't have a break from the world, you'll go back to it. As long as you're leaving your options open. My wife does something every so often that is quite needed, but I don't like it very much. She goes through our house and she gets rid of all the junk food. And I tell her, honey, I said, listen. Just put it up on the top of the cabinet. That way, if we just, you know, if we, if we want something from time to time, a splurge day, we've got something to go to. She says, you know what's going to happen. If we leave it in the house, we're going to eat it. I said, honey, we're grown adults. We've got more willpower than that. And then it ends up in the garbage because we don't have that much willpower to do that. Can I tell you something? Look, if you leave the door open to Egypt, as soon as adversity happens, you're going to go back. If you leave the door open behind you and don't make a clean break with what the world has to offer, as soon as the sun comes up and it gets to get a little hot in your spiritual walk, you're going backwards. That's why Moses says, I refuse. He broke up with the world. Now, folks, there should be only one direction for the child of God, and that ought to be forward. And if you desire to move forward, even in adversity, that's got to be the only way you should go and can go. Give an example. We think about Daniel. Oh, he went through adversity. And yet Daniel advanced in adversity. If you'll go back and you'll look in Daniel's life, you'll find there's a refusal, a refusal in there. Daniel refused to drink the king's wine or eat the king's meat. Daniel refused to worship the king's God. Notice he burned the bridge. He said no. He said no. I want you to know where I stand, Daniel says. There's no backing up for me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what did they say? They said, we're not careful to answer you. We want you to know where we stand. We're not going back. There's only one way forward. And if we die, we die. They advanced in adversity. Why? Because they were ready to refuse. I assure you this tonight. 
If you can't get to the place where you refuse the world, as soon as it gets a little bit hot spiritually, you're going to go right back to it. And I've seen it happen so, so many times. This is why David tells us in Psalms 101.3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. Listen close. It shall not cleave to me. I have a very imaginative mind. And I picture David as he writes this. David's got a club in his hand. And when he says, it shall not cleave to me, David's trying to move forward and he's constantly beating off the world. He said, it's not going to hang on to me. Why? Because as long as you allow the world to be present in your life, you're going to go back to it. And it's going to slow you down in your advance through that adversity. I want to show you something tonight. I have a little box up here. Uh, I've carried this box around for years. And uh, this box, I call it my keeper box, okay? Uh, it's, an, uh, it's a real secure place here in a sterilite container. Uh, but inside this box is little things I have collected all of my life. Uh, these are my treasures. Anybody have like a little treasure box? Uh, my daughter's got one. My wife's got one. Just a little, little stuff. Most of the stuff in here is not worth anything, okay? So don't rob me after church. It's not real treasure. But things that, are, that mean a lot to me. And I have held on to some of these things since I was five years old. Uh, there's a fishing cork in here from when I was a kid and all kind of little things. I want to show you some things that are in my box tonight. Uh, do you know what this is? I'll give you a guess. Think about it. This is the right arm of my daughter's first snowman. All right? Can you see it now? Everybody see it? The right arm of my daughter's first snowman. I don't know what happened to the left one. I apologize. We lost the left hands of the devil anyway. So we kept the right arm, all right? I guess it could have been the left. But anyway, I held on to it. Do you know why I held on to this? It's my daughter's first snowman. They don't come often in Mississippi, do they? And so I thought, you know what? I better get why the getting's good. I've held on to this since she was a little, little girl. Why? It meant a lot to me. So I've held on to it. Everywhere I've moved, I've carried this little box with me. I look in my, my box this afternoon. Inside of it, there's the first cut of my daughter's hair. First time she ever had her hair cut. I'm, if you can't tell, I'm very sentimental. I held on to the first lock of her hair that she had cut. And look, we've moved from Carson to Louisiana and now back to Hattiesburg. And this just keeps going with me on my journey. Why? It means a lot to me. You see, I hold on to things that mean a lot to me. I could go in this box. I mean, boy, here's a good one right here. This is the foot of the first duck I ever shot. You say, why are you carrying a, a foot of a duck around in this box that you brought up to the pulpit tonight? Uh, well, I couldn't afford to get him mounted, so, you know, something's better than nothing. And so I just whacked his foot off, and I carry his foot around with me. I'm thinking I'm going to put it on my desk, maybe make a pin holder out of it. That'd make a neat decor for what I've got going on in my office. You say, why do you hold on to all this stuff? I mean, I've got all kind of neat stuff in here. I've got a pocket knife that was made for my dad uh, by his construction crew. He had his, his crew made it for him years ago, or had it made. It's engraved Jack Andrews. On the back of it, it says Super Jack. Uh, it meant a lot. He gave me this when I went to my first church as a gift, and I put that in my box, and I hold on to this. But why do I hold on to all of this? It's very simple. I hold on to all this and I take it everywhere that I go because it means a lot to me. And it's hard for me to let go of things that mean a lot to me. You know, this is the very same reason that many of us can't, moving, can't move forward in the will of God for our life. Because the things behind us mean too much to us to let go of. You see, the reason we're not advancing in adversity is because we can't let go of the things that are holding us back. This is why the Bible tells us to love not the world. You know why you shouldn't love the world? Because it's going to hold you back. And as soon as you try to advance in adversity, you've got exactly the excuse you need to go right back to it. 
So tonight, number one, the character that's going to help you continue, you've got to have a readiness to refuse. Demas forsook his advancing. Why? Having loved this present world. And look, here's our problem. If we're honest tonight, I think we would all say this to an extent. The reason we have trouble advancing in adversity is because we're still in love too much with the world. All right? The reason we can't advance in our relationship with Christ is because we haven't broke up with the world yet. You got to break up with one person before you go out with another one, right? Amen. Some of you are like, what? Yeah, you got to do that. All right? That's just kind of proper. Uh, we might have some marriage counseling later on that. John Maxwell said this, one of the most important habits in being successful, quote, unquote, is learning not to care. He said, you've got to learn not to care. There's some things, if you desire to be successful and move forward, there's some things you've got to learn not to care about. And for the child of God, if you hope to advance in adversity, you've got to learn to not care about the world or its opinions or pressures on you. That's why Moses moved forward. What does it say? By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was able to advance in adversity because he had a readiness to refuse. He said, I can say no. I can say no. The reason that I had to go to the gym last week and work out, that one, I got to tell you, that one day of going to the gym, I felt like I had six days to splurge after going to the gym one day. I was so proud of myself for working out for 30 minutes. It excused me for six days of eating unhealthily. Can I tell you why I had to go to the gym? Because so many of those dinner invitations and snacks that I did not get thrown away in the cabinet, I had trouble telling no. I had trouble telling no. I want you to know something. If you can't tell the world no, if you can't tell what the world offers you instead of advancing in adversity, no, you're never going to move forward and continue in the will of God for your life, and you're going to stand before God with an unfinished course. What a horrific thought to stand before God, and instead of saying you finished your course, he said you made it halfway around, but then you backed up like Demas and went right back to what you could not refuse. So tonight, my prayer for our church is it will advance in adversity, but you've got to have the character to refuse what the world has to offer. And I'm going to throw this in right here at the end before I give you the second thing. Can I tell you tonight, I'm going to give you an opinion. You don't have to like it. I'm going to give you my opinion anyway. I wish we were just as ready to refuse the world and what it has to offer as we are to refuse what the government tells us we need to do in the midst of this virus. Man, if we just had that kind of grit about telling the devil, well, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm not going to wear that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go this way in Walmart. I'm thinking, good night, what our church could do if we just were willing to tell the devil no as quick as we are to tell the government no. I mean, imagine what we could do. Man, you're not going to tell me what to do. Imagine it's an invasion of my privacy. I'm just not going to do it. Imagine if you talk to the devil like that. Man, we'd have a different country. That was just opinion. That was a freebie, all right? You can throw that out. I don't have to keep it in your notes, but I think it's real. Verse 25, let's keep reading. The Bible says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, I want you to notice those first few words, choosing rather to suffer. Well, that's not something you hear often, is it? People choosing to suffer? Can you what Moses is doing? Moses is making a conscious decision to accept the consequences of his convictions. Moses says, I accept what's coming because of the convictions that I have 
to refuse what the world has to offer. Look, he knew what he was getting into. The second thing tonight, the second character trait I want you to see of those that continue is they have an acceptance of affliction. They have an acceptance of affliction. I want you to understand something tonight. There are consequences to living out Christian convictions. I would love to tell you that as soon as you decide to live according to the will and the word of God, everything's going to get easier. But just the simple truth is it's not. It's not. There are consequences to deciding to live according to your Christian convictions. Jesus put it this way in John 16. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. It hates you and it hates me simply because of who we are. The world hates us because of our Christian character. Now, they're going to give you all of these smoke screens of what it really is about, intolerance and all this other stuff. But simply put, they hate you and they hate I because of our Christian convictions. Understand this. You're not going to advance in adversity if you don't go ahead and accept that. Go ahead and accept that. Look, Egypt's never going to like you. Okay? Egypt's never going to like you. That ought to help you set your affections a little bit more above when you realize they're never going to love you back. I've, uh, I've known a lot of guys in my time that have been dead set on a particular girl, all right? And I hang around guys that set their sights high. And I've known some guys who have set their sights on a particular girl, and they just, nope, they're not going to have anything less. And finally, I've just had to have a talk with a few of them. Man, get it through your head. She's been married five years. She's never going to love you. She's never going to lie. I mean, they just have trouble accepting that, you know, and that's what restraining orders are for, you know. That'll help you accept it real, real quick. Some of us can't get it through our minds. The world's never going to like us. They're never going to love us. By the way, if they love you, something's wrong. Why? What did Jesus say? If you were of the world, the world would love his own. There's something wrong when Christians are in love with the world and the world loves them. There's something bad wrong. They're not supposed to like us. And if you desire to advance in adversity, to continue in the midst of conflict, you've got to realize and accept that affliction is going to be your traveling buddy. Now, I look, when I travel, I'm very picky about who I travel with. Okay? You know, some people are not good travel buddies. Those people that got to stop every five minutes and go to the bathroom, get you your own car or fly, all right? If I'm on my way to vacation, I want to get to vacation. We went on a mission trip years ago, and the young ladies, for some odd reason, loved to eat ice. They just kept eating ice, all right? Because the way the human body works, the more ice you get, the more you have to pull over and go to the bathroom. And I'm thinking, we're going to spend our entire mission trip just getting to Montana, because these girls have to keep stopping. We were in the guys' van. I was like, I'm just, let's take a boat to leave them here. You know, we'll pick you up at the next rest stop on our way back because you'll still be making your way up there. Traveling buddies. Listen, you want to be careful about picking your traveling buddies. Some folks, you know, I've, uh, I've been to different places with different people, and you're thinking, boy, this was a bad idea. Ever been there? Well, you cowards won't raise your hand. Shame on you. You know you've been there where you're like, well, have you, look, 
I'll be honest, my wife will tell you this is the truth. My in-laws are probably going to watch this later on. Uh, at the, their family reunions, they were in a huge cabin that'll sleep about 50 or 60 people. It's huge. And on the right side, there's a dormitory. On the left side, there's a dormitory. In the midst, there's a commons area and a huge industrial kitchen. The right dormitory is for the non-snorers. The left side of the dormitory is for the snorers. And all, we, all of us race to make sure we get in the non-snoring side. But if you don't get your reservation in in time, guess what? You're going to be spending two or three days in this resort area with not-so-good traveling buddies. Earplugs are a pack, something we pack with us, just like toothpaste, earplugs. Because some folks, listen, they're just not easy to travel with because they snore. Man, snoring just gets on my nerves. I know you're not doing it on purpose, but man, it bothers me. I'm sitting there trying to sleep, and I'm thinking, how rude. And you don't even know you're being rude in your sleep. I just can't stand it. And you try to pick traveling buddies that are going to be fun. They're not going to hold you back. They're not going to be weird. I have gone on vacation with some weird people before, and I didn't find out they were weird until we got on vacation. Oh, man, one of us has got to go home, and it's not me. Can I tell you something? You don't get to pick all of your traveling buddies on the journey of the will of God for your life. And one of the traveling buddies, unfortunately, is often affliction. And you've got to accept that. Okay? Can I tell you what's going to happen? If you try to avoid all affliction, you're going to end your advance. You're not going to advance in the midst of adversity if you keep trying to dodge affliction. It's part of our journey. 1 Thessalonians 3.3, the Bible says, that no man should be moved by these affliction, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. We have an appointment with affliction. The Bible tells us, as a matter of fact, what did Christ go on to say in verse 33 of John 16? In the world ye shall have affliction. Why? Because of what your football team is? No. Uh, because of what state you're from? No. Because of who you are as a Christian. Because you are a child of God and have Christian convictions, or you should, the world's not going to like you. Listen, let's just accept that and advance in adversity because the longer you dilly-dally around it and try to avoid it, the less time you're advancing in the will of God and the trump of God's going to sound one day. It's going to find us trying to take a shortcut around affliction. The Apostle Paul often referred to athletics uh, in his letters to the churches. You can see that. I kind of think Paul enjoyed sports, being there around Rome. I think he probably uh, enjoyed that from time to time. And what did he say? Paul says, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. What does that mean? It means someone who's striving, moving forward, trying to obtain the prize. He says a corruptible crown. He says they are temperate. That means they make sure they take care of their body and they go through all kinds of struggles and difficulties. Why? They want to obtain. Now, do we not desire to obtain the crown? I mean, aren't we working for something? All of this is not for nothing, isn't it? Aren't we working for something? But here's the sad thing. The Apostle Paul says they for a corruptible crown. They're going through all of this work and they're training and working. They're getting up early in the morning and practicing. Why? For a corruptible crown. And here's what's sad. The sad thing is we see athletes more dedicated and accept more affliction to obtain a corruptible crown in this life than we're willing to accept to obtain an incorruptible crown in the next. 
Think about it. What do these athletes do? I, I printed this out today. I want to read it to you. Uh, Michael Phelps. We know him. He's the famous Olympic swimmer. Here's his daily schedule for the past 20 years of his life. At 7 a.m., he hits the pool and swims laps for two solid hours. At 9 o'clock, he goes into the weight room and lifts weights for over an hour. At 10 o'clock, he eats. At 12 o'clock, he takes a nap. From 4 to 6 p.m., he swims laps. At 6 o'clock, he eats dinner. At 8 o'clock, he spends time with family. At 10 o'clock, he goes to bed every day. He consumes 10,000 calories a day, swims 50 miles a week. Why? Because that's just fun. I mean, doesn't that sound fun? Getting up and swimming 50 miles a week? I mean, the 10,000 calorie thing, okay, that does sound fun. I don't agree with some of you. Some of you are like, I volunteer. I'm going to be an Olympic swimmer tonight. No, there's a lot of work that goes into it, okay? Why did he do that? Here's why. 28 medals, 23 gold. 28 medals, 23 gold. Imagine all the affliction he went through in his body. Imagine all the time swimming in the cramps and in the weight room and all the time that he was running and conditioning in his body. Why? For a corruptible crown. He accepted the affliction. He says, hey, that's a good deal to me. And can I tell you something? I don't know where he stands with the Lord, but I do know that all 28 of his medals will burn up one day. All right? I hope he's saved and on his way to heaven, but all of those gold medals that he accepted the affliction for are going to burn. And the sad thing is, he's willing to go through all of that for something that's going to burn up. He's willing to do more for that than we are for something that's going to be eternal. Why? We refuse to accept affliction. Look, I don't like it. I don't like affliction. I don't like confrontation. I don't like hurt feelings. I don't like people, their feelings being hurt. I don't like my feelings being hurt. But I gotta tell you, sometimes in the will of God, we just got to accept that affliction's part of it. It's going to be part of it. Do you know before Esther could advance in the adversity, do you know what she had to do? Well, the first thing she did was she refused. She refused to be stopped by the consequences that would come from her continuing in the will of God for her life. But then what does she do? She says, if I perish, I perish. You know what that is? Acceptance. She says, I accept it. If I go in there and he does not raise his scepter to allow me to move in and I'm executed for what I'm about to do in my advancement, I accept that. Can I tell you, Esther fulfilled the will of God and advanced in adversity. Why? She came to the place where she accepted affliction. I'm willing to accept that. Oh, this week I had a good conversation with several of our members on the phone. Some of our folks who are going through surgeries and are recuperating from this time of virus. We haven't seen a lot of them in a while. And my goodness, what a blessing it was to hear from them. And to hear how as they go through this difficult time, they've accepted it. I called Miss Colleen Wyman this week and got to speak with her for a little while. And I said, Miss Colleen, I haven't spoken with you in a while. I just want to call and check in and see how you're doing. And she says, I can't complain. I'm thinking, all that you've gone through? She says, my goodness, I just can't stop. This is exact words. I can't stop praising the Lord for how good he's been to me. I'm thinking to myself, I didn't get as much sleep I wanted last night. And I'm already grumpy about it. Here she is having gone through the surgery. She fell the other day and hit her head and got a, a hematoma above her eye and going through some things with her lungs right now. And she just can't stop praising the Lord. How do you do that? She's accepted affliction. She said, this is part of it. This is just part of it. 
We're going to have affliction and persecution in this life. And we just understand, look, if I can't accept the affliction, then my advance stops. All right? I don't like it any more than you do. But I want to finish my course. Therefore, I've got to advance. In order to advance, I've got to accept the affliction. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Moses. You know what they're telling us in verse 24 and 25? It's part of it. It's part of it. Adversity must be accepted as simply a part of the advancement. It's part of it. Brother AJ and I went and worked out the other day. He worked me out. I didn't work him out. He worked me out. The next day, we, um, I came up here to the school. He says, how do you feel? I said, I feel it. I felt mo- muscles I didn't know I had. I didn't know there was muscles back here, Brother AJ. They have torture devices at the YMCA that work out muscles that I didn't even know existed. The next morning I woke up and it just kind of, everything kept wanting to do this. Just draw up. But you know what? As much as I didn't like that feeling, I've accepted it. Why? I want to advance. I want to lose this gut. I don't want to be a fat preacher. Just one of my dying wishes. Ginsburg has hers, mine is I just don't want to be a fat preacher. Okay? Put that on my tombstone. I just don't want to be a fat preacher. I've accepted it. If I'm going to reach the goal that I'm working toward, I've got to work through the adversity. Part of the adversity was watching these guys that are 20 years older than I am over there just knock it out of the park. There was this one guy like Mike Ditka over there, and I waited until he got, a, got out of, in the, between something and me and else not to see me lifting a smaller weight than he was lifting. Man, can I tell you, I looked at that guy thinking, man, I wish I looked half like he did, and I'm 20 years younger. Do you know what he did to get there? He accepted the affliction. I'm sure there was some pain along the way, but he got where he wanted to go. He got where I want to go at the very least. That's why in 1 Thessalonians 3, the Bible says that no man should be moved by the afflictions. Don't move. Don't move. What do we do when we see affliction coming our way? Detour. Detour. There's troubles. There's trials. Detour. I sat at the foot of Brother James Hayden's bed yesterday for an hour talking with him. And I saw someone unmoved by the affliction they're going through unmoved I came home and I told my wife and my daughter I said I was so convicted leaving his hospital room and how my faith is nowhere near what it needs to be as he looked at the prospects of heaven it almost seemed like he was going to be walking into the next room so simple unfazed unworried as a matter of fact I told Brother James I said Brother James we're going to pray God heals you he said well I guess we could but I'm ready to go Unmoved. Unmoved. Do you know why? It's people like Brother James and people like Moses and people like Paul. They've got their focus on finishing their course. And they've accepted that affliction at times is going to be part of it. There are times we're going to have to embrace that cactus of affliction that doesn't feel good. Or else, if we detour around it, you know what's happened? We've been moved by our afflictions. By the way, that's what the devil loves to do. I've seen the devil do more moving in the last seven months than I ever have in that amount of time. I've seen Christians moved away from their faith. I've seen families moved away from church. I'm talking about spiritually moved. What happened? This affliction. That's what the devil desires to do. He desires to take the affliction and move you by it. You ought to be ever so much more resolved as we are resolved about what we're not going to do because of this virus, that the devil's not going to move me. He's not going to move me with it. He's not going to use affliction as a crowbar to get me out of the will of God. Look, if there's somebody you can tell no and be bold about it, it ought to be the devil. 
Nope, I accept this affliction. Number two, that's the character we're going to need. Number three, let's finish up. The Bible says in verse 25, choosing rather to suffer. At times, you're going to have to choose to suffer. The Bible says, with the people of God, then to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches and treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now, here's what's good. I'll give you this last thing. Notice, Moses understood something I think we forget. Moses understood that all of the adversity was not in vain. Sometimes we act like the sacrifices that we make in this life in order to serve God, that it's going to be forgotten or in vain. But notice number three tonight, the expectation of endurance. What's going to help you advance in adversity is that you don't forget about the expectation of what happens if we're just willing to endure. You see, what Moses was expecting gave him the strength to endure the adversity he was going to go through. Look, and if you have forgotten, go back and read Exodus at the adversity he went through. All right? You're talking about prolonged. I mean, all these people grumbling and griping. I mean, can you imagine two to three million people griping? Ooh, some of you have two or three kids that gripe, and it's about, it gets on your last nerve. Can you imagine two to three million? And yet Moses just kept on trucking. He kept on trucking. Why? He had an expectation. Look, when we advance in adversity, it's not for nothing. All right? What does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn there real quick. I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to see it. I put a mark on my notes that we're going to read this together. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse number 52. Oh, my soul, tonight, if we just got our expectation where it needed to be, you'd find it a lot easier to advance in the midst of adversity. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, look down. The Bible says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The Bible says, for this, incorrupt, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The, st- the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch verse 58. Therefore, remember what therefore means? It means with all of that being said, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What is that? He gives us an expectation in the six verses preceding. He says, with that being said, therefore, hey, let's be steadfast, unmovable. Let's advance in the midst of adversity. Why? Because we know all of the adversity is not in vain. There's something we're looking forward to. And can I tell you tonight, a lot of times we look at sacrifice, and we call this sacrifice. Boy, I had to sacrifice all of this for God, and I had to sacrifice adversity and sacrifice that. Can I tell you, sacrifice is really relative based on what you're focused on. Okay, if you're just focused on this life, sure, it looks like a sacrifice. But if you zoom out a little bit and you look at this life in light of the next life, all of a sudden the sacrifice becomes an investment. Okay, why? Because you see in the end it's going to pay off. 
Brother AJ and I were talking about investments today, and uh, I have investments in uh, fast food restaurants. That's about all the investments that I have uh, when I go by there all of the time. But we were talking about silver today. And uh, we were talking about how, you know, precious metals are going to be important if all this falls apart in our world and having, you know, real tangible money on hand is going to be helpful. And I said, how's silver doing? Brother AJ said, it's dipped a little bit, dipped a little bit. He said, if I cashed out right now, I think he would have said it broke even or lost a little bit if he cashed out now. He said, but it's going to go back up. He said, so I'm just going to ride out the low right now because I know later it's going to pay off. He wasn't down and out. He wasn't doom and gloom. He wasn't sad. He wasn't tripping over his bottom lip. Why? He says, it's going to go up. It's going to go up. And when it goes up, I'm going to cash out. And I know in the end, it's going to be a good investment. Look, right now, we're sacrificing. But in the whole scheme of eternity, we're investing. That's what we're doing. We're giving up some things in this life, and it may be difficult now, but knowing what the payoff's going to be later, hey, it's just an investment. We know it's going to come through. The stock market may not come through for you, but can I tell you what will? Enduring affliction. The Bible says in verse 26, he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He had an expectation. He says, I'm going to endure. I'm going to continue to advance in adversity. Why? Because I have an expectation. Can I ask you tonight, what's your expectation? Maybe that's why you're not advancing. Your expectation's all wrong. I can't say no to Egypt because Egypt's what I'm expecting. Oh, then you got a reason to worry. But if you refuse Egypt and give up on Egypt and advance in adversity, then you have an eternal expectation. Folks, tonight, what are you focused on? Moses was focused on what was going to come later. And I believe tonight, if we'll just have the perspective he had, that we'll be able to advance in the midst of adversity. Why? Because we're enduring based on what we're expecting. I printed off tonight the lyrics to a song. I don't know that I've heard it in a long time, but boy, what a wonderful song it is. The song is, It Will Be Worth It All When We See Jesus. And I want you to notice something. When you look down to verse 26, you see what Moses was expecting. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. That's what he was looking at. But look at verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him. Moses wasn't just looking for something. He was looking for someone. And Moses says, look, it will be worth it all when I see Jesus. He said, look, all of the adversity I'm going through, whatever I had to give up in my service to God, it's going to be worth it right now. It's a sacrifice, but it's going to be an investment when I see him. Listen to the first verse. Oh, my goodness, there's such good doctrine in here. Oft times the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur, and despair. All good Baptists say amen. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away, all tears forever over in God's eternal day. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. What does it say? Yes, it's difficult right now. Yes, there's adversity. Yes, there's affliction. Let's accept it. It's part of it. Why? We're working towards something that's going to be eternal. Look, something that's going to last forever ought to cost you a little bit. All right? Most of the things we pay a lot of money for in this life, it's not going to last. And yet we're working for something that's going to be eternal. And it's going to be worth it when we see Jesus. I believe it's, I believe, I'll give you an opinion, it's going to be in my lifetime. I believe it's going to be in my lifetime. 
I believe a lot of the things we're seeing right now in our world are setting the stage for the coming of Christ. I, if it doesn't happen in my lifetime because one of you takes me out because you think there's real treasure in my box after the service, I believe it'll be in my daughter's lifetime. I'm most sure of that. I believe she's going to see him come. And oh, whatever adversity you had to advance through, it's going to be worth it. Paul says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look, he wasn't ashamed of them. He was proud of them. That he got to count all but loss. Why? For Christ. Paul says, I got rid of all of it. I counted all of it as dung. Why? Because I invested all of it eternally. And he knew when he saw Christ, it was all going to be worth it. Can I ask you tonight, are you having trouble advancing in adversity? If you're having a little bit of trouble tonight, maybe we need to adjust our Christian character just a little bit. Maybe tonight you don't have that readiness to refuse. You're never going to move forward in any type of difficulty if you don't close the back door. As long as you've got the world to go back to and you haven't broke up with them, you're going to go back to them sooner or later. Why don't you tonight make tonight the night that you decide, I'm done. Why don't you break up with the world tonight? I'm done. I refuse. I refuse to be a part of you. I refuse to carry your name. And look, if that means that you're not going to love me, I accept it. I accept that. And the affliction that comes with it, why? Because I have an eternal expectation. Tonight, let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Our piano is a song that are going to come. Let's stand to our feet tonight. Now's not the time to sit idle. Now's not the time to grow spiritually stagnant. Now's not the time to put our faith in neutral. Now's the time to advance in the midst of adversity. But tonight, you're going to have to make sure your Christian character is where it needs to be. It's not going to be who you think you are, who others think you are. Listen, your character is going to be revealed through the fire of this adversity we're going through. So let's make sure tonight that first we have a readiness to refuse. I'm going to tell the world no tonight. That way I can move forward. Maybe tonight you need to get to the place where you're willing not only to tell the world no, but tonight you're willing to accept affliction. I accept it. I accept it. I don't want it. I don't like it, but I accept it. Why? Because I want something eternal I'm going to endure. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the message and the example of Moses. Help us to follow suit tonight and be obedient to your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads bowed and eyes closed.